So again, this afternoon we are studying what Scripture teaches about the second commandment, also as summarized and confessed in Lord's Day 35 with the Heidelberg Catechism. You can find Lord's Day 35 on page 552 of the Book of Praise. Lord's Day 35. What does God require in the second commandment? We are not to make an image of God in any way, nor to worship him in any other manner than he has commanded in his word. May we then not make any image at all? God cannot and may not be visibly portrayed in any way. Creatures may be portrayed, but God forbids us to make or have any images of them in order to worship them, or to serve God through them. But may images not be tolerated in the churches as books for the laity? No, for we should not be wiser than God. He wants his people to be taught not by means of dumb images, but by the living preaching of his word. Let's fire our confession. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. There's something about pictures and images that really capture our attention. And this starts from the earliest age, when we are very young. When you read a story to a child, what do you pick up? You read a book with lots of nice, colorful pictures. that keeps the kids engaged in the story that you're reading to them. Perhaps as we grow up, we never really grow out of that. If you hear a news report about a big event somewhere in the world, we often want to see pictures of what happened. Maybe we search the internet, we want to see with our eyes. It helps us gain a better understanding of what took place. Now this works very well with things in creation. However, no matter how much we might gravitate towards images, this will not work when it comes to the Creator, our God. See, God as a Creator, He is He's not part of this creation. He, he stands outside of it. He made it. And because of this, in order to worship Him rightly, we cannot and may not make any image of Him. And this is what we learn about in the second commandment, which we are studying this afternoon. However, even though, even though God commands us not to make an image of him, that does not mean we cannot know God. No, we can. We can know God. He has revealed himself to us. He has given us his word, the Bible. It's in his word he gives us everything we need to know about Him. He has revealed Himself so that we might truly know Him, love Him, and worship Him. So as I preach to you God's Word this afternoon, I'll do so under the following theme of points. First of all, uh, the living God commands us not to make an image of Him. We have two points. First of all, the danger in breaking the second commandment, and second of all, the blessing in keeping the second commandment. So, Lord's Day 35, from our confession, it begins with this question, what does God require in the second commandment? And there we 
we read, we are not to make an image of God in any way, nor to worship him in any other manner than which he has commanded in his word. But sometimes we might wonder about the first commandment and the second commandment. You know, is there any real difference between them? But yes, there is a difference. The first commandment is about worshiping only the Lord. We must have no gods but him. The second commandment is primarily about worshiping this one God in the right manner. We must not make an image of God, nor must we worship him in any other manner than which he is commanded in his word. Now, in the second commandment, as described in Exodus 20, the Lord says we may not make a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Now, that does not mean that artists are forbidden from making sculptures of animals and creation, for example. No, we may do this. In fact, King Solomon, he had sculptures of lions right in his very throne room in Israel. Scripture nowhere condemns him for this. But Exodus 20 goes on to say that we're not to bow down to images that are made by the hands of men or serve them. And that's the key point. We are not to try to worship the Lord through an image, through an image that our hands make. You see, in every, pretty much every other religion, people make images of their gods, maybe a statue, a painting. The image is supposed to represent their god, and they may even say that their god, their, their god uh, lives in that image itself. This was a constant temptation for Israel, too. All throughout Israel's history, God commanded his people not to make an image of him. We saw some of this in Deuteronomy 4. The Lord reminded his people that some time ago they stood at at Mount Horeb. The Lord spoke to them from the midst of the fire. They heard the sound of words, but they saw no form. There was only a voice. Because that was true, the Lord reminded his people, watch yourselves very carefully. Since you saw no form, beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves. Take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make a carved image, a form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. So as you can see from those words, the Lord takes this very seriously. God is the infinite, majestic God. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And one reason, one main reason why God commands us not to make an image of Him is that any image of God that we make, it's a serious distortion of who He is. Romans 1 describes it like this, God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So we can see something of God's infinite power and majesty from creation. Just look around you. Uh, Most of us are outside right now, some may be at home, but 
God's glory is on display this afternoon in His creation. His eternal power, His divine majesty is being revealed to us constantly as we look at the world He has made. And indeed, this world He has made, this creation, is amazing. When we look at this world so often, we cannot help but just stand in awe of our Creator. And if creation does that to us, if we stand in awe when we see creation, what does that say about the Creator, the one who made it all? It tells us that He is so much more worthy of our awe. He is truly majestic and powerful. He's worthy of all of our worship. What do sinful people do? What do our sinful hearts do? Sinfulness of our hearts often tries to suppress that truth about God, about the greatness of His majesty, His power. And Romans 1 says people suppress it in unrighteousness and sin. See, the thought of this glorious God, who is so majestic, so powerful and infinite, it's almost it's too much for our sinful hearts. And so instead of repenting, what does the sinful heart do? It tries to distort who God is by making images. See, Romans 1 says, People exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Right? When we make an image of God, and suddenly He's not so majestic. Suddenly He's not so worthy of our worship, of our devotion. He's not as worthy of our obedience. And making an image of God is, is to rob him of his glory. And so in this respect, there is a close connection between the first and second commandment. When people do make an image of the Lord to worship God through that image, they do in effect start worshiping an, another God altogether, an idol. That's because the image which is supposed to represent the Lord, it cannot, it cannot capture who God is. Worshiping the image becomes in effect the worship of an idol. Now, again, it's good for us to ask at this point, why do humans try to do this? Why do they try to make an image of God anyways? You see, it's good to get at the heart of it, the root of it. I'm, I'm fairly confident anyway that none of you has made some sort of statue of the Lord God Almighty in your home and set it up. So it's good for us to get at the heart of it. What's at the root of people trying to make images of God? We could say a number of things. Romans 1, again, it tells us that people try to suppress the truth about God, as I said. Right? If, if God can be captured in an image, he's not all that glorious. He's not a God you need to fear, respect, or honor. And that's what the sinful human heart wants. And that's why the sinful human heart prefers a distorted image of God. Because the true God is holy, he cannot tolerate sin. So sinful humans also, they desire to put themselves over top of God. That's what our sinful hearts try to do, put ourselves over top of God. 
That's what happens when the Lord is reduced to an image. Right? Suddenly, humans have a God that they can manipulate. A God they can stand above. A God that humans can control. Again, that's perhaps at the heart of this matter. Sinful humans want to control God. And if someone were to make an image of God, then you can take that, that God wherever you want. It's as if you're forcing God to, to be with you. Perhaps then you can control his favor, can control what he does for you. This is precisely what Israel tried to do in their history too. Think of 1 Samuel 4. Israel, Israel was battling the Philistines. They lost the first battle. Then they, they came up with what they thought was a good idea. They thought, you know, let's bring the ark of God into battle. God had said that he dwelt upon the cherubim on the ark. And Israel thought that by taking the ark into battle, they were bringing God into the battle with them. They were ensuring victory for themselves, they thought. Right? It's a manipulation of God. Well, they found out quite quickly that it's impossible for humans to try to control the living God. To make Him submit to us. That's reversing the correct order. God simply will not be forced to act by any human. Similar thing can be said about the golden calf in the book of Exodus. The people of Israel became impatient in waiting for the Lord. They did not like God's timing, so they made a golden calf. It was supposed to represent the Lord. They thought now they could serve the Lord how they wanted. Finally, God was in their control. They thought the Lord would serve their own ambitions. But God cannot be manipulated in that way. And there are major problems that arise when humans try to worship the Lord like this. First of all, this sort of thing provokes the Lord to anger. To make an image of God is to treat the infinite living God as someone you can control, make to serve your own ends. That's simply not true devotion, again, to our almighty King. It's not worshiping the Lord with fear and, and honor and the reverence that He deserves. And the second problem is this. Distorted worship of God eventually leads to false worship altogether, the worship of idols. You see this in Israel's history. First, Jeroboam set up the golden calves at Bethel and Dan. They were supposed to represent the Lord. A few generations later, what is Israel doing? They are worshiping Baal, completely different God altogether. This is also why there's a warning in the second commandment that God visits the sins of the fathers upon the children to the third and the fourth generation. I'd like to say a few things about those words in the second commandment, that God uh, visits the sins of the fathers upon the third and the fourth generation of those who hate him. I was clear from God's word and from looking at life that there are sins, that sin can have consequences for future generations. You know, if, if we were to turn away from God and turn away from right worship of God, that's simply going to affect future generations. It, it will. And because that is true, we must be on guard. We must seek to, 
know the Lord rightly from his word, to live for him as he has taught us in his word, and to worship him in the way he's commanded in his word. As we seek to be faithful to God, we must also have an eye not only for ourselves, but for those who are to come after us, for the church and future generations. However, with that warning in the second commandment, we should also understand this. When God says that he visits the sins of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation, this does not mean that the children were somehow doomed if their father sinned. Not at all. God could visit the children with his blessing if they turned to God themselves. Think of Daniel from the book of Daniel. He went into exile into Babylon. In a sense, he was suffering the consequences of the sins of his forefathers who came before him, for they worshipped idols. However, that does not mean that Daniel himself was under the judgment of God because he faced those consequences. No, he himself served the Lord and he was receiving the blessing of God even in exile. So God can visit the children with his blessing if children turn to the Lord. Well, there's another problem that arises when we make an image of God. Humans were made to reflect God's own image. We were made to reflect God's image. That was our created purpose. We cannot get away from this. You see, if, if we create a certain, a certain image of God and say this is what God is like, we will be conformed to that image that we create. The scripture says that those who worship idols will become like them. Think of Psalm 115, which we sang from earlier. The idols of the nations are works of human hands. They have eyes but do not see, ears but do not hear. And then what does it say? Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. Well, this first of all refers to the first commandment. We become like the gods we worship. Those who worship blind and deaf idols become spiritually blind and deaf. But the same principle applies with the second commandment. We become like the object that we worship. And understand this, that everyone in this world is worshiping something or someone. Even those who claim to be atheists, they are worshiping something in their hearts and in their lives. And we become like the objects that we worship. Israel worshiped the golden calf at Horeb. And God declared that they were as stiff-necked as that calf they worshipped. Romans 1 says that people exchange the glory of the immortal God for images of mortal man. Right? They exchange God's glory for something else. And so God gave them over to a debased mind, he says. Human glory is turned into shame as humans exchange natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. See, God was turned into something of creation, and so humans could not understand creation anymore. Could not understand it rightly. Their worship of created things has caused them to misunderstand creation. Cannot see it rightly. 
And finally, making an image of God turns God into a God that cannot really help you. God who can be turned into an image is not a God who can truly save you. It's not a God you can have a living relationship with. It's not a God who can carry you in your troubles. Instead, you have to carry your God. When God is reduced to an image, suddenly humans need to carry around their God. And then God then becomes a burden. Idols will always become a burden to those who worship them. See, this is backwards. God is supposed to carry and sustain us. He's the one who carries his people. He calls us to cast all our burdens upon him. Brings us to our next point. So the Lord wants us to keep the second commandment for our own good. And remember, when the Lord gives us his commandments, he gives them to us for our good. Now, we might not be tempted to make a physical carving of God. I, again, I'm fairly confident none of you have tried to make a statue and said, this is the Lord God. None of you have probably done that in your house. However, this commandment is all about not making a distorted picture of who God is. We can easily make a distorted picture of God in our hearts and in our minds. It's probably the biggest temptation for us. This is why God wants us to be taught by His Word. We see in De Deuteronomy 4 that, that God, the Lord, He's a speaking God. The people of Israel, they saw no form, but they heard the Lord speaking to them. And the living God wants His people to be taught by the living preaching of His Word. And as we study God's Word... Let's also make it our aim to know this God who has revealed himself so clearly to us. To know him rightly. See, the Bible, it's God's revelation of himself. He's revealing himself to us in here. This is where we learn about who God is. See, the temptation is to shape our understanding of God by the thinking that arises from our hearts. We might then easily forget about or ignore some of God's attributes, and maybe because we don't like them. But instead, let's study God's Word, conform our thinking about God according to what He has taught us in His Word. And as we do this, we will come to glorify God rightly. We will learn to stand under Him. See, right worship means being humble and letting God be God. In Isaiah 66, the Lord says, This is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. And as we stand underneath God's word and accept God's revelation of himself, we will come to truly know the Lord. We will know him as our God. This is what Israel failed to do with the golden calf. They showed that they did not truly know the Lord. That was nearly disastrous for them. And it's just as important for us to, to know the Lord. What does Christ say in John 17? This is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. 
eternal life is to know God. It's to know Jesus Christ. It's to know Him as our Savior who has paid for all of our sins. In fact, we come to know our God especially through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ as God's only begotten Son is the perfect image of God. You see, the Lord our God has given us an image of Himself. He's given us Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1 says that the Son is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Where Colossians 1 says that in Christ all the fullness of deity lives bodily. Jesus Christ is true God. He shows us what God is like. And so if we want to really know our God, let us study what Scripture teaches us about Jesus Christ. Come to see what God is like. We see that He's a God who saved us. That's why He came. Christ Jesus, the eternal Son of God, came to this earth to save us. We see who our God is through the cross of Christ. In the cross of Christ, we see that God is a just God. He could not leave our sins unpunished because He is a just God, but He has punished them in the sacrifice of His Son. We see that God is a just God through the cross. But through the cross of Christ, we also see that God is a gracious and a loving God. You see, it should have been us up there on that cross suffering and dying for our own sins. But God the Father gave us His only Son to stand in our place, to pay for our sins. God the Son came to rescue us from our punishment. And in the, in the life of Christ, in the cross of Christ, we come to see that God, our God, is a God who serves This is what Christ Jesus, our Lord, did his entire life. He came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. Because of his servant attitude, he he humbled himself, even dying on a cross for us. As we come to know God rightly through his word, through Jesus Christ, you know what's going to happen? We're also going to become like him. We are going to be conformed to the image of God. See, we're not to make an image of God out of any created thing, but as we come to know God through His Word, as we come to know Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is going to shape us into God's own image. And so that we will rightly reflect His glorious attributes, His justice, His compassion, His mercy, His faithfulness, His love. Remember, you will be conformed to the image of God that you serve. People who make dead and blind idols become spiritually blind and deaf. The more we truly know this God, this awesome God, the more we will become like Him. We will become more like Christ. 
We will be transformed into the people we were created to be, for we were created in His image, meant to reflect His perfect image for all eternity. We will be renewed, recreated into that image. And we will do so more and more. And when we come to know God rightly through His Word, we come to see that that God is bigger than our problems. The Lord says in Isaiah 40, To whom then will you, will you compare God, or what likeness will you compare with Him? As for an idol, a craftsman casts it, set, sets up an idol that will not move. In other words, God is saying he's, he's not like anything else in creation. You cannot turn him into an image. And those who make idols make gods that cannot help and cannot even move. But the Lord, on the other hand, is the living God. The God we need in this broken life. See, any God who can be captured in, in an image, he will fail us. He will fail us. And any idol you serve apart from the living God, it will fail you eventually. The Lord goes on to say in Isaiah 40, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. This is the living God. This is the God we need as we go through this broken life. This God, the living God, is bigger than any problem we might face. And this God is our loving shepherd. We do not lead him, but he leads us. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his own sake. And even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we do not need to fear any evil or harm, for God, the living God, is with us always. Amen.